Welcome into the Fog.net podcast, Scott Chasen, Kansas.247sports.com. Alongside Michael Swain, we are here to talk all about KU football's home opener, a loss 26-23 in overtime to Nichols State. And Michael, let's let's just jump right into this because I know we have a lot of topics we want to get to with this game and, and really the season. I'll, I'll ask you off the really off the bat and then we can go from here. Was Nichols State the better team coming into Memorial Stadium, winning that game in overtime? Was Nichols State the better team? On the day, I would have to say yes, just because they did play better than KU in certain facets, and they also made a lot of mistakes too. But I, I would say on the day, they did play a much more sound game than KU. I would say that in general, though, KU has infinitely more talent, and that's like not a surprise to anyone. Uh, when you look at the roster, there's no excuses for what happened. You look at how the defense played, especially in the fourth quarter with how they defended the run. It was really just, it was Swiss cheese everywhere. So I think that if you look at it, Nickel State, yeah, they played better than KU on the day, but now KU is a much more talented team. They really should have won the game. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you kind of compare all three phases of the game, think, think about how the game first starts off. KU goes three and out. They get it to a fourth and one, punt the ball in their their own territory. I didn't have a problem with that. Nichols State marches the ball right down the field. I think one pass play and the rest were runs uh, and and scores a touchdown. KU defense kind of responds well after that. KU jumps out, I think, 10 to 7, something like that. And, And from there, it was just kind of an inability to develop a rhythm and an inability to find consistency in offense, consistency on defense. Nichols State scored a touchdown with like three and a half minutes left in the third quarter. Didn't score the rest of the game until a field goal, you know, with 40 seconds left to tie things up. For that quarter, quarter plus two minutes, the KU defense was solid and showed that, I mean, Nichols State couldn't get anything going against them, and they were constantly shooting themselves in the foot. You had a a blocked punt in that span. You had a muffed punt by Nichols State in that span, and you had a snap that went out the back of the end zone and led to a safety, I believe, uh, all in that span, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I agree with you, Swain. I, th- I think what you saw on Saturday is a KU team that has more talent and better players than Nichols State struggle to put it all together and, and make it all work. Um, before we get into the game uh, and get into some of exactly what went wrong, Beatty did address the state of the KU program afterward, and I thought that was especially noteworthy, so I wanted to to kind of mention it. Uh you know, interesting enough, first on his radio interview, he actually said he felt KU didn't, or KU made the mistakes, Nickel State didn't, and that's what kind of ended the game. And then he was kind of pushed on that in the press conference and asked uh, by Tom Keegan of the Lawrence Journal World, Nickel State made a ton of mistakes down the stretch. They were giving, they gave Kansas 11 points, uh, or nine or 10 points, a touchdown with a two-point conversion and a safety. They handed those to Kansas, essentially, on punting mistakes. Uh, Kansas just wasn't able to take advantage of the mistakes and Nichols State did its part enough to take advantage of the mistakes Kansas made. But even then, Kansas had a fumble at about midfield and Nichols State didn't score off of it. So uh, I think you saw a Nichols State team, tr- I mean, basically try to give a game away and uh, Kansas kind of be un- being unable to take it. But Beatty did address the program after the game. So I wanted to read his comments. Uh, first on his radio interview, he said, it's game one. We're going to learn a lot from it, and that's a good football team. It's a good football team, but the sun's going to come up tomorrow. 
Uh, they've got to work on getting better. They've got to look themselves in the mirror just like I do. We've got to be better on third downs. We've got to be better at stopping third downs. We've got to be re- better at running the football to, up front to create a better passing game. And then certainly you can't have seven penalties. That was one of the keys of the game coming into it was that we couldn't give our opponent anything. We gave them quite a bit of field position, particularly late when it mattered. Uh, he was asked about it later again and basically said he knew it was going to take everything possible uh, to beat Nichols State, saying, uh, we knew it was going to take every single thing we got, plus overtime, maybe six, seven, eight quarters if it was going to take that, and it came to fruition. We knew they had a bunch of talent. We knew that they were dadgum good on defense. We knew that they were going to be very difficult to handle with the way that they max number the box in the run game, and you've got to hit some play action behind them to be able to loosen them up. And I thought we did it at times. We just didn't do it enough. So clearly Beatty acknowledging that a lot of things that should have gone right or could have gone right uh, didn't. Where do you kind of see things right now with the KU football team, the state of the KU program? Did Beatty seal his fate in the first game? Oh, 100% yes. I I don't want to be like dramatic, but I personally, if I were Jeff Long, I would consider – he, Jeff Long has not fired a coach during a season before. Just off this first game, they can bounce back and go and win at Central Michigan, and we could be talking a whole different conversation next Sunday. But for right now, I think that it's so hard to make the argument that they are a better off team than they were when he got here or even after his second year. Yeah, I think after his second year, they're not. I think after the, his first year, considering what he took over, they were. W- yeah. What would you say, then, is the benefit of making a move in season? Because that's always the question. It's uh, If you're going to make a make the kind of in-season firing, what, what would you say is the benefit for the KU program? So I, I will say this, and talking to some of the defensive players after the game, it really sounded like the communication was just not there on any front whether it be coming from the coaching staff, from the leaders on the defense, it just sounded like the communication was not there. And I think that that does reflect on Clint Bowen, especially considering the fact that, again, it's year four. You've got guys like Daniel Wise that have been on the line for multiple years now. And he did take responsibility for a play that led to the Nickel State touchdown that put them up. But I think that when you look at the preparation of this team, this was a team that just flat out didn't look as prepared as Nickel State was. And I think that that needs to reflect on the coaching staff. I definitely think, so if you're going to make a coaching change in season, I know we've talked about this a little bit before, but I think one of three things needs to happen. I think it needs to be a poisonous culture uh, where the players have kind of tuned out the message. I think it needs to be a, maybe, a, or, or a fundraising thing, like where boosters and everyone else has tuned out the message, which I think we might be getting close to. Um, I, I think it it needs to be, there needs to be a coach that you want to try out on your staff, an interim coach who you think maybe this guy can win the job, or a coach you want to hire. And I'm not sure that any of those three are the case right now. Now, if this program starts, I think they have the first Big 12 game on the road and then come back at home. If they were to start 0-5 and then they have two games on the road that they're not going to win at that point, so 0-7, like I could see I could see changes being made after each of those points. Um, at the same time, I'm not really sure what it helps uh, unless you think that guy is out there right now. Les Miles is a name that people love to throw around. If KU had a sense that he was going to take the job and that's who they wanted and they were deciding that they were going to replace Beatty at the end of the year, then sure, you could make the argument that I think the change could happen. But otherwise, I don't really see a change being made this year unless it gets really bad. And 
I mean, that's talking about like Owen, like I said, Owen five, Owen seven, somewhere in that range. Thing is, though, I mean, Clint Bowen would probably be the first choice to be interim uh, coach. There are no, there are a number of people. I mean, uh, Doug Meacham, Tony Holt is the associate head coach. I think either of them could do it. I personally think that if you were going to basically punt on an entire season and firing, you know, fire a coaching staff a few games into it, that it literally couldn't hurt to pick, you know, a young up and comer. Uh, Garrett Riley would not be a choice for head coach. He's 28 years old. He was an offensive analyst and a quarterbacks coach. He has very limited experience. But if you're just looking for someone to kind of, you know, test, maybe not even making him, you know, an interim coach, but making him an interim coordinator and promoting a coordinator to head coach or something like that. Uh, So I think there are a number of interesting things you could do. I don't think the program is there yet, though. Let's talk a little bit about this game. We'll start with maybe what the most glaring issue was because for me, I think uh, I think there were a couple, maybe a couple positives that you could take away. But I think when you look at the offensive line, what you saw was, I would argue, if you took away the three really bad snaps by Alex Fontana and a fourth in overtime that was a direct snap to the running back accidentally, I think you would have seen a better offensive line than you saw last year. That's not the case, though. Fontana won the snapping job over eight players, maybe maybe even more than that. And the, the fact is, when he was brought into KU from Houston as a transfer, it was to start at center. And he, he even told me when I asked him uh, most recently, I think a week ago, that he feels as comfortable at center as any other position. He feels he's as good at center as, as kind of every other position. I mean, what we saw with him snapping, he took responsibility for the loss. He said it was his fault. He said you could point the finger at him. That's obviously not the case. But that was a huge issue for Kansas to have three snaps get fumbled like that. I think he had four fumbles on the day. The fourth was a, a sack when Peyton Mender was hit trying to throw the ball in and lost lost the ball. I thought it might have been an incomplete pass, but clearly the offensive line was really bad. Uh, I thought uh, Andrew Tovey, I thought especially, had a terrible game. Fontana obviously had trouble picking things up. Again, he took responsibility for it, so I, I do give him credit for kind of standing in there and putting his hand up and taking the blame. But I think the offensive line was was maybe by far the most glaring issue. W- where did you see that? Uh, I think that I agree with that. I think Andre Toby really did have a, a, a game to forget, to say the least. And I, I was honestly the most surprised that it was him that had the bad game. and It wasn't the guys on the right side of that line, Dwayne Wallace and Kevin Feeder. The two on the right side, they looked pretty good. The fumble that when Bender got hit on that play you mentioned, that was on Feeder's side that the guy came off and hit Bender. So that is, it's not his fault, but that's avoidable also. But I really do think that it showed that the offensive line does not have the chemistry that, for example, the Nickel State offensive line does that has now played together for almost two seasons. So I think that that really did show. But I think Alex Montana with those snaps, that's not going to happen again. And him picking up blitzes or the packages that Nickel State was using, he'll continue to get better with that. And everyone on the team throughout camp had said how impressed they were with how Fontana is able to read the defenses. So I think that that'll be something interesting to look at going forward if he continues to struggle picking up blitzes or the packages that the opposition is using. Yeah, for sure. And, And I think that tied in with Peyton Bender, who I actually thought had a fine game. He only had like 187 passing yards, but... I mean, Steven Sims dropped three passes from Bender. One would have been a, a 30 or so yard completion to set KU up 
uh, in, I want to say the red zone or right outside the red zone. Another would have been a touchdown, a 35-yard touchdown completion, deep ball down the left sideline that was right on the money. Peyton Bender, at the very least, should have had 240 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and a win in regulation. Uh, just on drops, two of the three drops from Steven Sims. That doesn't even, you know, talk about the one he dropped going over the middle. Maybe, I guess, sensing that he could be taking a pretty big shot if he did catch the ball. But I, I thought it was a terrible game for Steven Sims. He didn't show up either to uh, post game, so he didn't have the chance or, I guess, want the chance to kind of speak about his performance and, and what went wrong there. But uh, overall, I thought Bender was okay. I think he struggled like he does sensing pressure. Uh, but a lot of that is is not on him. It's, you know, you get one second to throw the ball sometimes when the when the offensive line is kind of falling apart like it did in that game. So uh, overall, Peyton Bender starting quarterback first start. I thought he looked okay. I didn't think he was bad. Uh, he had a couple of rushes that that actually surprised me where he, he picked up, uh, I think both times on maybe third and long situations. One might have been a second and long. But, but either way, he, you know, more than 10 rushing yards in a single play, which for Peyton Bender was kind of a rarity. He was sacked six times. Obviously, I mentioned the snaps. Uh, I'll go ahead and grade uh, or, or give what I did for, for grades. So I graded out kind of uh, how I'm going to be doing this this year is the, the categories I'll be using is quarterback play, uh, the offense overall, uh, defense, run, run defense, pass defense, and then special teams. So for quarterback play, I gave Peyton Bender a C plus, and it's because of the things I mentioned. I think uh, the staff kind of disrupted his play by bringing in Miles Kendrick in the second quarter. Things uh, went to hell right after that. To to, I mean, it's pretty much the only way you can put it. The the last two drives of the half were basically a disaster. And then the second half, I mean, what KU goes to the half with ten points. They eventually get. Uh, the the two point safety and the touchdown and that's all you know fourth quarter short stretch and outside of that the offense didn't really do anything I mean they fumbled struggled to move the ball had to punt it repeatedly uh, one time punted from the exact same position that they had kicked a field goal earlier in the game thought that was an interesting decision so I, I really thought it was a bad idea to bring Miles Kendrick in the first time I don't think the staff had a plan for it other than it's going to look like someone different and then they brought him in in overtime on the biggest play of the game which again, I thought was a complete mistake. If you're going to bring a, a new quarterback in as a change of pace guy, bring him in for the start of overtime. Give him three plays, whatever. Uh, bringing Miles Kendrick off the bench for a third down, apparently he had a run pass option. If he did, he missed a wide receiver wide open to his left. Uh, I think it was just a quarterback draw, a designed quarterback draw, and clearly it didn't work. Um, you know, Beatty said Nickel State might have done something that they weren't expecting or anticipating, and they they thought they had a good look for it, but again, it's third and six. You you probably should choose the start, you know, your starting quarterback who's played all but four plays or whatever it was. I, I found it a huge surprise that they made that change. So if you want to go ahead and give a, a grade for, for Bender, Swain, and then the KU offense, I gave the offense a D uh, just because they probably should have had 30 or 34 points uh, because of those drops. But at the same time, they only came away with 20 in regulation. Yeah, so I'm going to start off. I'm gonna, I actually thought that I agree with you. I think that Peyton Bender actually did have like a not a, as bad of a game as the box score would show you. I gave him a B minus because his legs made that first touchdown happen. There was literally nothing going on. He was about to be sacked on the first time he scrambled, which I believe was on a third down. And so he was going to be sacked there and he ended up bursting out for 14 yards and then two plays later gets 15 yards. Without those two plays, KU doesn't get on the board. And then grading the offense as a whole, I gave it a D, just flat out. I thought that the play calling in the second half was questionable. 
you mentioned Miles Kendrick coming into the first half for that fourth offensive series. Every single one of Alex Fontana's fumbles came that after Kendrick came in. I just wonder if that had to do with messing up the rhythm. I know we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but I think that's something I'm interested to talk to Beatty about come Tuesday is just seeing what he thinks happened there because it's just something that has stuck with me. And also, Khalil Herbert had 10 carries in the first half, and he had two in the second half. And he averaged 5.1 yards a carry the entire game. And Dom Williams also had a pretty good game. Six carries, 36 yards, averaged 5.8 a carry. I'm just, I'm bamboozled. They talked about going to the ground game more. They had 32 carries total. They averaged 32 carries every game last season. So there's just no change there. So that I give him a deep on the offense as a whole. But I really think Peyton Bender showed some flashes that can make KU fans maybe a little bit more positive with him. Yeah, I don't think it'll be what you and I both said. I don't think it'll be the most popular opinion, but I do think it's accurate. I think Peyton Mender made several good throws. There were a couple miscommunications with wide receivers that I don't think are his fault. Um, And I think he put the offense, he did what he needed to do for KU to score at least at a bare minimum 30 points against Nichols State. I don't think you can complain about that. I think if you knew coming into this game, or 31 points, I should say, because they scored 20 in regulation, Steven Sims dropped a touchdown, they got a field goal out of that, so that's four more points, and then Steven Sims dropped another ball that puts them, like like I said, right in the red zone or right outside it. So, I mean, when you take all of that into consideration, I think I do think you, you can be pleased with uh, Peyton Bender. I think it's just it, the fact that Miles Kendrick even was in the game in the first place I thought it was interesting. Jesse Newell, actually, the Kansas City Star, had a tweet. Bender was rolling, and, and I think he tweeted something like, "I, you know, this is the the kind of the point where even if you have a plan to go away from your starting quarterback, you leave Peyton Bender in because he's just playing so well. He's making every throw. He's sensing pressure. He's stepping up in the pocket. And the next play, they made that change, and Miles Kendrick went in, and Beatty's, or, uh, Bender's rhythm was never the same after that point. The offensive line's rhythm, like you said, was never the same after that point. And that doesn't mean it's all responsible to Miles Kendrick and the coaching staff, and maybe you could say that they should adjust better to that. But the fact of the matter is the offense looked sharp. Uh, you know, basically minus a drop was about to go march down for another touchdown drive, and then everything kind of changed, and you just kind of wonder, you know, what happened there. So let's let's move on to the defense now. We'll start with uh, We'll start with the run defense. I graded it out a D. I thought it could have been a D plus, actually. Uh, Nichols State had several long runs against the Jayhawks. They they gashed them on the opening drive. Then they had that 40-yard touchdown run when KU wasn't uh, set. I believe that was late in the third quarter. Nichols State finished with 187 r- rushing yards on 50 carries. That includes, like, losses. So uh, not terrible to give up, but also not great. Uh, but, it, but it's worth noting the KU defense tightened up fairly well as the game went on. Like I mentioned, after the touchdown late in the third, Nickel State didn't score again until the field goal to tie the game. Uh, in that span, the KU defense forced a stop, then a three and out, and then another stop. So KU defense really tightened well. Uh, but then again, at the end of the game in overtime, you saw it, KU just couldn't contain their run. So um, I, I gave the run defense a D. I thought it, it maybe even could have been a little bit more positive than that. And at the end of the day, they only allowed 20 points to Nickel State in regulation with that game-tying field goal. And if they don't call that timeout, it's the kicker, 17 points. Um, so I don't see anything wrong with that. But at the same time, I mean, there there were a couple plays where where the run defense was clearly not either not set, not prepared, not in the right positions. 
Uh, and, and I thought overall a pretty disappointing performance from that unit. Yeah, I think it was pretty disappointing too. I'm, I gave him a D, but I'm going to consider it more of a low D, not a high D like yours. I was really frustrated with the first drive of the game. They had 64 yards rushing on five plays. I thought that that was pretty bad. And I thought, so talking to Joe Dean after the game, he said that the, or the defense for that first drive, you know, they weren't together. And Brian Lipscomb echoed the same exact thing, saying that the defense wasn't together on that first drive. And they came together after that and continued to play well. But I think that when it really counted most, Nickel State could get what they wanted in the run game. So I think that's why I'm going to give them a lower D. I would say if you're going to move into the entire defense, I think that looking at the pass defense, which we'll talk about now, I think I give them a C- because at the end of the game, Hassan Defense has that pass interference call, which is entirely avoidable. He absolutely obliterates Jean-Pierre Jr., and gives him the ball on the five-yard line, first and goal, you know, that entirely just gave him new life. And looking also, Corian Harris got bailed out in the back of the end zone. He got beat behind, got sucked in. I think they were playing zone at that time. And he got sucked in and got beaten behind, and he had to recover, and he ended up pushing the receiver, but the receiver had stepped out of bounds. So just looking at just the mistakes that were made on the pass defense side of it, that's why I kind of come up with the C-minus there. Yeah, I, I gave him a similar grade. I gave him a C. I, I think the defense was fairly unremarkable, which mm-hmm. I, I think there were two plays. Hassan defense got burned on like a 50-yard pass or something like that, and then he had a, a pass interference penalty in overtime, like you meant, like you just talked about. But, you know, at the same time, Nickel State had one pass play in the second half that like was anything more than like a, a – you know, run-of-the-mill kind of short completion. And I, I think they only had two, either two or three completions of 10 or more yards. So I thought generally the Jayhawks did a, a, a pretty solid, or, or I think they had two completions that went for more than 10 yards. Uh, Chase Forcade, I believe it's pronounced, the Nickel State quarterback, only 142 passing yards on 12 of 24 passing. Uh, Corion Harris, you mentioned the play in the back of the end zone. He definitely pushed the guy, but at the same time, the guy, I think, had both feet out of bounds at that point, and I think he had spatial awareness to say, like, this guy is standing at the back of the end zone, so he didn't necessarily have to worry about getting his head turned around or you know doing anything else because the ball sailed well out of bounds. It was an uncatchable pass, and again, the receiver was already out of bounds, like you said. So I, I actually thought Hassan defense or uh, excuse me, Corian Harris looked okay. I think they went at him a few times or at least a couple times, and I thought uh, he did a good job when he was asked to to kind of play out on an island and play in one-on-one coverage, which I think primarily was what he was asked to do. Um, I gave him a C just because they didn't lose this game because of pass defense. And uh, I I talked to Hassan defense after the game. He took responsibility for his mistakes, and he said he didn't think that the cornerbacks really got got beat on any of the touchdowns, and and I think that was correct. I think they they might have been all rushing touchdowns, uh, in, unless I'm forgetting one. No, they they all were, I believe. So. Uh, for the most part, I, I thought, generally speaking, the cornerbacks, the, the safeties were fine. I was impressed by Bryce Tornado, and I thought he had a really nice game, uh, kind of in run coverage, I guess, mostly, and making plays around the line of scrimmage. I, th- I thought he had a, a pretty solid performance, so I thought that was a good sign. But overall, it's hard to get too excited about the defense as a whole, I would say, just because, again, they only give up 20 points in regulation, but you're giving up 20 points to Nickel State. What are you going to give up to Texas Tech? and Baylor, and some of the lower teams in the Big 12. And then what are you going to give up to Oklahoma or Texas? Although, we'll, we'll see how good Texas actually is. But, you know, what, what are you going to give up to these 
more elite teams in the Big 12. So hard for me to come away too impressed with any of that. Let's move to special teams. I gave them a B. I saw Jesse Newell actually gave them an A. What kept me from giving them an A was uh, KU at one point had 10 men on the field for a punt. They got flagged for kick-catch interference, and I believe on another punt they had a false start. So, you know, those kind of penalties and mishaps on punts, um, that led me to not giving them an A. But I thought Kyle Thompson showed off a pretty good leg. Kwame Lasseter looked pretty solid in the return game. Uh, I, I thought KU did a good job, you know, pressuring the punter after the the kind of botched snap to force the safety. You know, if KU isn't aware and isn't coming after the punter, uh, that, that punter can kind of pick it up and, and at least kick it down the field. Uh, Gabriel Rui made a 54-yard field goal, and I was really impressed with Kyron Johnson. I thought he looked great when he was in the game, um, including having one nice sack on the final drive. A Jodanine face mask kind of wiped that out. Without that Jodanine face mask, KU probably wins the game too. So I thought Kyron Johnson had a nice play uh, there. He also recovered the punt. He was right down there when it happened. Um, so special teams I thought was a B. It's, you know, doesn't mean much in the grand scheme of things, but I, I thought special teams was clearly KU's top unit. Yeah, I think it was too, and I think that that is a that's a spot that KU fans can be a little more excited about this year because especially after Cole Moo last year really struggled punting the ball. You had all those times that you punt and it would just end up out of the bounds, thirty yards downfield. I thought that it was pretty interesting the way that Beatty used the two punters. I'm given the special teams unit as a whole a B plus. I thought that they were clever with the way that they used them. They had Kyle Thompson come in for the big boots that they wanted just to switch the field on. And then at the end of the game, when they wanted to try and pin Nichols, they had Donovan Gagan come in, and he did that. I don't remember what yard line he pinned him at, but it didn't go at back for a touchback like Thompson had. He had two of those. I think also Gabriel Rui showing off the leg with the 54-yard field goal. That's now his career high. He said he's made it as long as 70 in practice, but again, you, that won't ever happen in a game. But still, knowing that he can make from 54 will be crucial going forward. I think that in general... Comparing it to last year, I think that this unit is a lot better, and I think it should be a spot where fans should be happy at least. That's interesting that he said 70 yards. I saw him make a 62-yarder in pregame. Uh, 70 is a massive number, obviously, but but hey, if he says he can make it, he probably can make it. Um, yeah, I, again, I'm, I for the most part agree with you. I, I think... Moose may, might have had a better junior year than he actually did as a as a senior. He was kind of an interesting punter. It'll it'll be interesting to see what Kyle Thompson does when when KU kind of gets into the thick of Big Twelve play and we get to see how these special teams hold up. Steven Sims listed as the punt returner in the depth chart. I think he returned one punt and it was a fair catch, or or caught one punt, fielded one punt and it was a fair catch. So very interesting that the staff kind of went away from him, even in kind of late game situations. So it seems like Lassiter. Uh, clearly, clearly kind of uh, taking over that job. No Puka Williams, too. Puka Williams was supposed to be KU's kick returner. Uh, it came out before the game that he was not going to be playing. It does not appear to be injury-related or have something to do with a disciplinary reason, uh, according to David Beatty. Um, he did not, Beatty did not say the injury part. However, the fact that KU did not kind of acknowledge that there was an injury and they only stated that it was non-disciplinary, that's what's kind of leading me to that assumption. Uh, if the KU staff does clarify, obviously we'll give you an update. And then one other thing I found interesting, E.C. Olani, who was, uh, he was arrested uh, on suspicion of driving under the influence, played the entire first game. 
Uh, I think you've seen other colleges, other places, I mean, with offenses much less than that, um, you know, that type of allegation or arrest in general, um, not play or sit out or miss significant time. I think you've seen, um, I think it'll be interesting to know kind of what the reasoning for that was. And I expect Beatty will be asked about that. Either it is a Monday big 12 coaches teleconference or Tuesday press conference with the K media. That decision actually really surprised me. I did not expect to see EC Holani play at all. Um, obviously, you know, kind of pending what his situation is and, and kind of waiting for all the, the facts to come out there too. So, uh, let, let's kind of end on this topic. We talked about the most glaring issue. Uh, what do you see as the biggest positive for KU moving forward? And what do you see as one takeaway for KU moving forward? So for me, I think the biggest positive going forward, it does have to be still the play of Peyton Bender and still the play of their running backs. Even though the running backs didn't get a ton of touches in the end, I think that the still the fact that they were able to break through for some chunks of yardage, still, it gives you some hope especially because now when you look at how they're going to have to play going on the road to Central Michigan, coming back and playing Rutgers, they're going to need to run the ball. Their FCS game is over. They're going to need to now actually start prepping for when Big 12 play comes because they can't run the ball 32 times against a Big 12 team or else they're just going to get run out and the defense is just going to get worn out as well. So I think that that's probably the biggest takeaway I have is that they're really going to need to start running the ball. But I think that – I fans should be encouraged with the play of Peyton Bender and the running backs. Sure. I I wrote, I'm going to do this after each game. What surprised me? What didn't? And one more thought. And my, uh, what surprised me, which is also my biggest takeaway is what happened on the biggest play of the game Mm. with that third down third and six, bringing in miles Kendrick ice cold, basically to, run the biggest play of the game. So my takeaway is that the this cave staff clearly has more confidence in Miles Kendrick than Peyton Bender at this point, because when it came down to one play to decide, are you going to get a touchdown or a field goal? They put in Miles Kendrick and Beatty had previously said that Kendrick would see a bigger and bigger role. Uh, it was just a matter of when. And so unless something changed in this game, uh, that would be the impression that you would probably get from that is that on the biggest play of the game, David Beatty chose not to use the quarterback he named as a starter, but he chose to use the guy that he said uh, they want to ease into the offense. So I think it's very clear that um, if Peyton Bender may be KU's starter, and I would agree, I think he was probably KU's biggest positive in terms of, I think he played pretty well. I think the pieces around him all kind of fell apart, especially, I mean, Steven Sims makes three catches. We're not talking, like we're talking about an entirely different game. KU wins like 34 to 10 or 34 to 17 or something like it's just such an entirely different game. Uh, so I think Bender is the positive, but that's my takeaway is that the fact that the staff put in Kendrick in that situation, I, I think it's pretty shocking. If you're Peyton Bender, I, he said all the right things after the game, obviously as a competitor, he wants to be in the game. I don't know how you aren't a little miffed about that and a little riled up and a little fired up and a little annoyed, honestly, that, Hey, I've, you know, I won this job, whatever, and I don't even get the chance to, uh, you know, help decide the game on a third and six. So th- those were kind of my two over overarching thoughts on the game. Uh, you want to give a prediction for Central Michigan, just since we won't podcast again before that game? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think that I deep down, I, I the the fan inside of me really wants KU to win, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I think it's going to be a twenty four twenty, a twenty four seventeen game. I think Central Michigan will win. 
I obviously we're we're going to be looking into a lot more to Central Michigan this week, and and a lot of that will come you know Monday and Tuesday as we get to kind of talk with the coaches and, and hear about how they're preparing uh, for Central Michigan. If I had to give an early prediction, still kind of have a weird feeling that KU wins. I think KU is a better team than Central Michigan, especially considering some of the yeah. pieces that they lost that last year, especially in quarterback. That being said, uh, you can't. It's so hard to pick KU to win on the road when they've lost 46 in a row. I, I think they have to at some point get a win. I, I will pick them to win this game, and that will be probably, if they don't win the last time I pick them to win a game, uh, I mean the rest of the season. Because this is, I mean, this is it. It's this and Rutgers, and if they start 0-3, they're not winning another game this year. So, uh, or, or it would have to be considered a major shock if they do win another game this year. So... Yeah, tentatively, I will pick them to win, not feel great about it. And uh, and that's mostly just going off like the rankings and, and kind of what I've seen from uh, other people from afar grading out Central Michigan. Going to obviously get into a lot more of that ourselves this week. Uh, tons of content coming on our site. Film Room coming on Monday. Uh, Swain has a Q&A with the defense that will be... Uh, that'll be up Monday morning as well. Some recruiting stuff coming down the pipeline too. So lots to look forward to at fog.net, kansas.247sports.com. That's going to wrap it up for us on our weekly fog.net podcast. Thanks for joining us as we kind of break down uh, football, basketball, and everything else each week. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, and we will catch you next week.